Hey y'all. It's the Christmas season, and some of my podcasts and Investopods and friends wanted to bring you a Christmas time collaboration. You'll hear stories told by creators from the following podcasts. Deep Dark Secrets, True Crime PI, Extinguished, Crimepedia, Walking the Line, Murder and Mimosas, Crime Over Cocktails, True Crime Authors and Extraordinary People, Your Favorite True Crime Podcast with Gavin Fish, and me, Richie Buck from Santa Maybe a Criminal. I'm going to remind you what I always remind you, but this right here is what we in the biz call a trigger warning. So here goes. This podcast contains talk about criminal activity, including violence and murder. It may include a few cuss words, and it's probably not appropriate for your youngins, so you might want to earmuff them or send them outside to play. Now, before we get started, I want to mention three more things. I know, I know, get to it, Buck, but we Southerners like to talk. First up, any opinions in these stories are solely those of the specific creators presenting the story. Suspects mentioned in these tales are considered innocent unless proven guilty in a court of law, and these are real stories about real people. People who experience unimaginable horror and tragedy. The most important thing we can do to honor the victims and the families of these stories is play an active role in our justice system, remain vigilant in our understanding of our surroundings, and support organizations that work to make sure these stories remain the exception and not the rule. And just so you know, some of these stories are going to be long, some of them are going to be short, but you never know what you're going to get until you tune in. Thanks for listening. Walking the Line is a true crime podcast that discusses topics of violence, sexual assault, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Welcome to Walking the Line. I'm your host, Lexi, and this week I'm covering the unsolved homicide of Margaret May Sweet. It's been 15 years since Margaret Alice Egger Sweet was senselessly murdered and her case remains unsolved. Margaret was born on April 22, 1970 in Glasgow, Montana to her parents, James and Susan Egger. She left behind a brother, Paul, who was three and a half years younger. At some point, James and Susan got a divorce and James would remarry a woman named Peggy. May was also married and divorced twice after she was abused at the hands of her first husband. May was also married and divorced twice after she was experiencing abuse by her first husband. Margaret graduated from Mitchell High School in 1988 and went by the nickname May. Sadly, there is limited information about May and her story. We do know that May was a big fan of music and loved going to see live music shows. May enjoyed attending the Air Force Academy football games with her dad, who was a retired Chief Master Sergeant in the Air Force. She was working at a restaurant around the time of her death, and her favorite movie was Pay It Forward, about a young boy who was eager to make a difference in the world and his teacher who had given him that opportunity. The concept of paying it forward was something May practiced in her everyday life. She was only 38 years old and had beautiful blue eyes and curly reddish or auburn hair. 
Those who knew her say she was a kind and reliable person. She was always quick to help a friend in need. She had an adventurous spirit who could never be told what to do. She found peace at the beach in Destin, Florida, or whitewater rafting in the mountains. She enjoyed working with animals and being in nature. Here's what we know about Margaret's case. Months before her murder, May was in the process of leaving her boyfriend, 56-year-old Jeremiah Jerry Dale Bates. Bates was 13 years older than Margaret and was working as a car repairman. They had met while May was living in Nashville, Tennessee. The two had a tumultuous relationship and several accounts suggest that Margaret was fearful of Bates. However, Bates claimed that the relationship never became violent. Margaret had confided to her friends that he was physically abusive towards her, and on May 13, 2008, Margaret successfully obtained a restraining order against Bates after he allegedly followed her from Nashville to Colorado Springs. In the state of Colorado, a restraining order can protect you from stalking, harassing, threats, domestic violence, intimidation, unwanted contact, and cyberstalking. To obtain a permanent restraining order, a temporary one must be granted which lasts for 14 days. Then, a court hearing is scheduled where the judge can review all of the evidence and decide if a permanent order of protection can be granted. According to the Colorado Legal Defense Group, the state of Colorado gives full faith and credit to restraining orders issued out of state and you do not need to register out of state protection orders with the Colorado court. Further, Colorado courts have jurisdiction to impose restraining orders on non-state residents if the victim is a Colorado resident. May had moved cross-country to get space from Bates. On one occasion, Bates allegedly traveled to Colorado Springs where he left a stuffed teddy bear, a dozen roses, and a diamond engagement ring on the hood of her car. On Wednesday, December 24, 2008, May attended a church service on the morning of Christmas Eve. At some point later that day, she goes to her friend Tammy's house. Tammy had told Fox 21 that May had shared with her that May was in the midst of a rough breakup and was trying to get away from her ex-boyfriend and that he had threatened to shoot her. Tammy also told the local news outlet that May had shown her bruises. In the time leading up to her death, May was doing all of the right things to put the breakup behind her. She was going to counseling through a local organization known as TESSA, which aims to empower victims of partner and sexual violence to take back the life that is rightfully theirs. According to TESSA, approximately 35 domestic violence calls are made to police in Colorado Springs a day. Unfortunately, the Denver Post would report that May and Bates were still communicating via text message around November. May was temporarily staying with her father. The two of them were taking turns caring for her stepmother, Peggy, who was recovering from surgery. May was living roughly 45 minutes away from where the hospital was at the time. On the evening of Christmas Eve, she leaves the hospital so her father can take over the night shift. On her way home, she stopped at a local drugstore. Hey everyone, I hope you are enjoying this week's episode. I wanted to take a really quick moment to introduce to you a podcast I've been listening to a lot these days by the name of True Compass. beautiful humans want to be a part of a community where empathy is at the forefront want to go beyond the surface level of true crime want to understand our role as consumers of true crime 
Join me, Shay Vishna, on True Compass Podcast, where cultivating ethics and awareness is at the forefront. My goal is to empower you with the knowledge to be an ethical consumer of true crime, while also getting to learn how those affected by crime are impacted. But I don't stop there. I'll also have amazing guests to discuss these topics and even throw in some safety tips here and there. Can't wait for y'all to tag along with me on this journey. Be sure to follow True Compass wherever you get your podcast. Sometime around 11 p.m., a neighbor would later tell Colorado Springs police that they overheard yelling. This neighbor recalled a woman shouting. Now, sources tend to vary about what happens next, but it is assumed that sometime between 11 and 11.30 p.m., a neighbor hears an argument followed by a gunshot ring out in the 1300 block of Fosdick Circle. Strangely, despite hearing the gunshot, this neighbor did not call 911. Instead, her father would return from the hospital around 5.50 a.m. on Christmas morning to find his daughter. Her father noticed something strange just beyond his white picket fence. And upon closer look, James found his daughter on the side of his porch with one leg in the basement window well. Her car door was found open and her valuables were untouched. She was cold and blood had pooled around the window well. The Colorado police arrived on scene and May was declared dead. When James called Paul that morning, he initially thought his dad was calling to wish him a Merry Christmas. He would later learn that his sister had been murdered. Paul told Fox 21, You can't ever prepare yourself for that. And just knowing who my sister was and how positive she was, how she loved everybody, I couldn't imagine why somebody would do that to her. It was such a foreign idea. According to the Denver Post, her father sat in the police car for two hours and performed gunshot residue tests to rule him out as a suspect. But James was willing to provide any information he could to help the investigation. Police took May's cell phone and computer as evidence. Police and May's family would later learn that May was occasionally interacting online under the alias Shelby Jameson. The next day, Bates would tell police that he was on a date with another woman when May was shot. He also told the Denver Post that he was asked to take a polygraph test, which he allegedly passed. The Colorado Springs Police tested Bates' hand for gunpowder residue, which would later reveal that he had not fired a gun. Bates was ruled out as a suspect. Although it's important to mention that the test was administered eight hours later and the gunshot residue would have likely been eliminated. According to the University of North Carolina School of Government Prosecutors Resource Online, Gunshot residue can be removed by actions such as washing hands, wiping clothing, or brushing it off, so the absence of residue does not prove that the person did not recently fire a gun. Interestingly, ballistics testing performed by authorities would reveal that the bullet used to kill May came from a gun that was used to injure a man in a drug deal gone wrong in 2007. It was a 19mm bullet fired from a pistol, therefore no shell casing was ejected. While that unnamed individual did survive the shooting, no suspect was ever arrested in that case. It's important to mention that May had no known ties to the drug trade, and her toxicology report would also reveal that no illegal drugs were in her system at the time of her death. An autopsy would determine that her manner of death was a homicide resulting from a gunshot wound. As police began working the case, they discovered that May had used the alias Shelby Jamison to rent the apartment that she was living at in Colorado Springs. She likely did this so that Bates would not be able to track her. 
The alias was also used on some of her online dating profiles. Considering that online dating was relatively new at the time, this could have been seen as a personal safety measure. Police believe that the person responsible for May's death was likely somebody that she knew, because she was killed within close range. Sadly, this case has very limited media coverage, so much so that most of the articles needed to be found using the Wayback Machine. On the anniversary of May's death, the Colorado Springs Police Department shares a social media post in hopes that anybody with information can come forward. Margaret's family has not been able to celebrate Christmas the same way since her death. 15 Christmases, 15 birthdays, and 15 holidays have all passed, and the Egger family still do not have any answers. In the time since Margaret's death, her parents, James and Susan Egger, and her stepmother Peggy have all passed away, leaving behind Paul to continue advocating for his sister. Paul told Fox 21 that he wants to one day see a conviction, but he wants to make sure that the right person is held accountable. Check out the website justiceformargaretsweet.com, which was created by John Lorden, which will be linked in the show notes and on my social media, and they've archived all the links and news articles and videos available on the case. If you have any information regarding the unsolved homicide of Margaret Sweet, please contact the Colorado Springs Police Department at 719-444-7000 or email cspdcoldcase at springsgov.com with tips. You can remain anonymous by calling Crime Stoppers at 719-634-STOP. This week's episode was researched using publicly available information. All of my sources will be listed in the show notes and on my website. A giant thank you to John Lorden for his initial and thorough coverage of this case. Be sure to follow us on X and Instagram at WalkingLionPod and on Facebook at WalkingTheLion. If you enjoyed this episode of Walking the Line, please like, rate, and subscribe wherever you are listening. If you want to take it a step further, you can leave a five-star review so more listeners can learn about the people behind these stories. Let's walk the line together. I urge you to listen to all the podcasts that are contributing to this project. Deep Dark Secrets, True Crime P.I., Extinguished, Crimepedia, Walking the Line, Murder in Mimosas, Crime Over Cocktails, True Crime Authors and Extraordinary People, Your Favorite True Crime Podcast with Gavin Fish, and of course, Santa May Be a Criminal. Now, remember, always, always, always... Be nice.